You're listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Northwest, including our gathering time, visit us at nwcbc.org. Today's speaker will be Pastor Terry Wong. Well, thank you for joining us for Northwest Worship. It's good to see all of you here. Uh, just so the ushers know, as always, the front row seats are open. <laughs> no one wants to sit in the front row yet. I've, nothing ever changes, but their front row seats are open. But uh, welcome to worship, uh, all those who are here today, all those who are watching online or watching the tape, uh, welcome to worship. You know, I, since this is my last Sunday, I keep reminiscing, I keep remembering. I remember when I first came to Northwest to help start this church with some of you. Here's a picture of me. I was a uh, single man with a full head of hair. <laughs> but the Lord has blessed me, and now this is my family. Uh, we've grown. Uh, the Lord has uh, blessed me and given me a lot. And just, it's just amazing how life, the life that God gives us is so rich and rewarding. Well, in the same way, our church started with 14 families. Next slide. And uh, there's only nine here. I couldn't find a picture with all 14 of us. But 14 families and a bunch of kids. And uh, it has grown to this now, to this picture. Uh, to uh, two congregations. And so God has blessed our work. And today's message is called Gospel Partners. We have been partners in the gospel. And so today, I, as I got close to today, I was trying to figure out what I should preach for my last official sermon as your pastor, maybe the, your pastors will invite me to come back and speak in the future. And what should I preach? Should I tell a funny joke about my brother? <laughs> I know I've, I've insulted his looks, his IQ, and his fishing ability. And people ask me, okay, Pastor Terry, is it really true? Is he that bad? And I just want to set the record straight. Oh, let's just be honest. He's much worse. <laughs> I've been nice to him. But fortunately, I'm not going to mock my brother. Instead, I'm going to talk about uh, the Lord has led me to Philippians chapter 1, a pastor where, uh, passage where the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the congregation he started, and his letter reflects his love and feelings for the church. And in the same way, it, it reflected my uh, love and feeling for all of you. And so the church at Philippi was a spiritually healthy church. They supported Paul with their prayers, with their money. With their encouragement, they sent people to help Paul. They were active in his ministry. And so Paul wrote them this letter, and he didn't write them to correct them like all the other letters he wrote did, but he wrote them to thank them, to love them, and to encourage them and teach them a little more. So if you want to turn in your handout to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, let's read this passage. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints of Christ Jesus in Philippi, Together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you, my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I pray for you with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so in this passage, we see that Paul addresses the saints. He addresses the overseers, the deacons, the leaders, but he addresses the saints. And guess what? We are all saints. We are all saints in Jesus Christ. We do not need a pope to make us a saint. 
Jesus Christ makes us a saint because he died on the cross for our sin. He rose from the dead. He cleanses us and forgives us of our sin. And the word saint really means to set apart. God called us and he set us apart. First, we are set apart to be a part of God's family. We become part of God's family. Then he sets us apart to do his work. And so if you look at this passage, the words, oh, go back uh, to partnership in the gospel. We are partners in the gospel. We are, Paul was partners with the Philippians in the gospel, just as today we are partners in the gospel. Uh, now the accountant in me had uh, Dodie crunch some numbers. You know, crunch your numbers means you're using a calculator. And uh, here's some numbers I, I, I came up with, we came up with since 2003, since I've been your pastor, we have baptized uh, 325 souls. We have given 1175000 to missions locally and abroad, food bank, benevolent to help individuals. We have sent eight people to seminary, and we have ordained five pastors. And when I think about that, I think, well, those are decent numbers. Those are good numbers. We have done good work. But the Apostle Paul says that we must continue to do good work. After all, the work we have done of the past 18 years, I've been your pastor, was built upon the work of the previous pastors and, and leaders of the church. And we built on their work. And today, as I leave, I want to leave a good foundation for the next generation that builds upon the work that we have done. And so today I want to talk about being a gospel partner. Are you a partner in the gospel? What does that even mean? What, is the, what does that mean to us? And so uh, let's look at our... Uh, next slide here. As a gospel partner, there's three key things. Uh, first, we have the right focus. We focus on the right things. Now today, to be honest, today, um, it wasn't what I was expecting uh, today. Why? Because we're in the fellowship hall. <laughs> I wasn't expecting my last sermon to be in the fellowship hall uh, with all you crammed in here. I wasn't expecting just to preach to a quarter of the congregation I wasn't expecting for the sanctuary to be torn up to pieces. It's getting back there, though. Um, I wasn't expecting for all of you to wear masks. You know, we've been wearing masks for a year and a half. But that's okay, because that's not my focus. That's not our focus. We focus on our relationship with God. That's what we focus on, not about inconveniences or things don't work out. Uh, these are just material things, but we need to focus on God. We focus on God the Father, knowing His will and His Word. We focus on His Son, Jesus Christ, knowing how to walk like Jesus and become like Jesus. And the more we focus on God and Jesus, the closer we get to God, the closer we become more like Jesus. Our relationship grows stronger when we focus. God was on Paul's heart and his mind. In the first 11 verses of Philippians, as we study them today, you'll note that the word God or Jesus Christ is mentioned 12 times. 12 times in 11 verses. Get it. Guess what Paul focused on? He focused on his relationship with God. In order to know God's will, we must focus on God and his word. That's why we preach the word here. In order to become like Jesus, we need to focus on Jesus and his way. As we study the Gospels, we learn to be like Jesus. They say if you take your eyes off the target, you will miss it every time. You take your eyes off God, you take your eyes off Jesus, you will miss them every time. That's why we don't miss them every day we go and focus on God and Jesus. And so I ask you this today, are you a gospel partner? Are you focusing on God and Jesus Christ? Or are you focusing on the world and yourself? The next focus is on our mission, spreading 
the gospel. That is our mission to go and be witnesses for Christ. But the question is, what is the gospel? Someone comes up to you and says, hey, what's the gospel? Can you explain to me what the gospel is? Can you explain what that is? Uh, we find the answer in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Uh, three key points to the gospel. What I, this is a creed. This is probably the first Christian creed, a statement of doctrine, a statement of truth. For what I, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. This is the gospel message. Now, it's okay to tell people God loves them, because that's true. It's okay to tell them that God forgives them, that's true. But the, the three elements of the gospel are this, that we have sinned against God. Christ died for our sins. We are sinners separated from God. We cannot become good enough to be saved. Then the second truth is that Christ died for our sins. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He paid our sin debt so we don't have to. The third truth is that Christ rose from the dead. What does that mean? It means Jesus has the power to save you. Jesus has the power to take you after death into heaven. We have to share the gospel truth. We must be ready to defend it. We must be ready to preach it. We must be ready to confirm it in people's hearts. So we work together as partners at Brothers and Sisters in Christ in this church, with other churches, through the Southern Baptist Convention, with all the churches throughout the world uh, to share the gospel. And so I encourage you to join a ministry. Maybe you're a Christian, but you're not serving the Lord. I encourage you to join a small group or a ministry or an activity to build strong bonds uh, with people to go on mission trips with other people, to build strong bonds and build strong relationships. So I ask you this, brothers and sisters, are you focused on God every day? Are you focused on your mission every day? And then the next thing we need to focus on is our, uh, we need the right attitude. We need the right attitude. I'm sorry, my voice is already going hoarse because I preach on the Chinese side. <laughs> And we preached in a hurry for some reason. <laughs> anyway, we're running out of time. Okay, I can talk really fast. People ask me, what is the hardest part of being a pastor? And I say, well, Larry E. Larry E. That's the hardest part right there. Larry E. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, it's dealing with people. All of you. That's the hardest part of being a pastor. Uh, and then they ask me, what's the most rewarding part? Well, dealing with people, <laughs> all of you, that's the most rewarding part. We are in the people business. And if we have to work together as partners, we must have the right attitude to function correctly, to work with each, each other. And the first thing we need is a grateful heart. We need to work together with a grateful heart. We are thankful for each other. Verse 3 says, I thank God every time I remember you. Uh, you imagine the Philippians hearing those words from Paul, I thank God for you. What a, that must have been filled him with joy, filled him with love and appreciation. It probably pulled them closer together. See, the right attitude is gratitude. Gratitude is a humble attitude. It acknowledges the giver. It acknowledges the gift. The ungrateful attitude is prideful and arrogant. When, when you have an ungrateful attitude towards somebody else, maybe you don't hate them, but you don't even think about them. That is toxic to any relationship. Paul was grateful that the Philippian believers supported him. 
He was grateful for their prayers, their encouragement, their letters, the people that they sent uh, to help them. You can't imagine how powerful it is that you share a kind word with a pastor. You tell the pastor a kind word or you share a kind word with a brother or sister who's hurting. It is a very powerful thing. See, when you are ungrateful for something, when you take it for granted, it will go bad. That relationship will go bad. That relationship uh, will go sour. Ungratefulness uh, poisons any relationship. So if you are ungrateful for your spouse, guess what? The relationship will go bad. If you are ungrateful for your job, guess what? The job will go worse. It'll get worse. Uh, if you're ungrateful for your pastors, your two pastors that are going to lead you, guess what? That will sour the relationship. If your pastor is ungrateful for you, it hurts the relationship. On the other hand, gratitude. Gratitude enhances and improves any relationship. It turns everything around. It turns the whole attitude around. It gives value and recognition to those that you care about, those that you're supposed to be loving. So start giving thanks to God for your spouse if you've been ungrateful. What does that mean? You, you list the reasons why. You tell God why you're grateful for your spouse or you tell God why you're grateful for your job or your kids or your co-workers and you list the reasons why. You be specific. You show your appreciation for that person through affection and attention every day. If you're struggling in a marriage or with your family or your kids or your parents or your work, change your attitude. Be grateful for your job. Work for God's glory and honor Him. So we need a grateful heart to work with each other. The second thing we need is we need a joyful heart. I've been studying uh, about joy lately, and I've been preparing a sermon to preach sometime in the future because I'm going to keep writing sermons. Uh, but we need to have a joyful heart. I forgot, I never realized how important it is. Philippians 4, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Philippians, the letter is called the epistle of joy. The words joy, joyful, and rejoice are repeated hundreds of times in the Bible. Guess what? God wants you to be filled with joy. God wants joy to be a part of your life. And also, on the other hand, Satan wants to steal your joy. All right? When we're, uh, when we're not grateful, when we don't love, our, our uh, joy is stolen. When someone says something bad or mean, our joy gets stolen. So how do you experience joy? Oh, first, I'm coming back. You know, having joy does not mean everything is wonderful. Having joy, being joyful, doesn't mean everything is perfect. Uh, there are times in this church when I've been hurt by people, uh, and it's been painful. Uh, it happens, but I still have joy because I know who my Savior is. I know who my God is. I know what my mission is. I know who loves me the most. And so how do we experience more joy in our lives? Do we win the lottery? You know, win $100 million? Will you be joyful? I read an article about a guy who won $10,000 at a casino, and he went home, and a guy followed him home and killed him and stole the money. That's not joyful. Do we win a lottery? Do we get a promotion or something we want? Will that make us joyful? The Bible says that generosity leads to joy. If you want more joy, be generous. We see this in Acts 20, uh, verse 35. In everything I did... I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of Je Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, Jesus is not saying there's no joy in receiving because there is. But guess what? Giving increases the joy so much more. There is greater joy and blessing and happiness 
in giving. You want to experience more joy, change your heart, be grateful, and be generous. We become the most like Jesus Christ when we learn how to give, when we become givers. Of course, that's the opposite of what the world says, right? The world says get. you got to get more. you got to get people to give you more. You want to become a more joyful person? Then be a generous person. You want more joy in your marriage? Then give your spouse time, energy, attention, and love, and you'll have more joy. You want, to, you want your family to be joyful? Then spread the generosity through your family. Teach them how to give and how to show kindness and attention and love. Giving is much more than giving material possessions, but loving people, spending time with them, and giving them your attention. Be an answer to prayer, and you will find joy. Then the third thing we need in order to be gospel partners is we need the right fellowship. You are working together. You are working, brothers, sisters in Christ. This fellowship needs to be strong. It needs to be bonded together. You know, I can imagine the Philippians are reading this letter that Paul sent, and what joy they must have felt as they read the letters. You know, Paul had, as 10 years has passed since Paul had visited the Philippians. As far as we know, he never returned to visit them. Not only that, Paul, it was 800, he was 800 miles away from the Philippians, but yet they shared this rich fellowship. Time and distance did not diminish their love for each other. Time and distance did not diminish their interest in each other. And so the key is three, three keys that Paul gives us uh, for rich fellowship. We need to practice that here at Northwest. The first one is this, I have you in my mind. Paul is thinking about them. Are you thinking about people? Or are you just thinking about yourself? Philippians uh, verse 3. I thank God, my, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Isn't that remarkable? Paul is sitting in a prison in a Roman cell, and he's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about others. As he awaits trial, his mind goes back to that first time he met the Philippians. Uh, every recollection of their, their memory of their love fills him with joy and confidence. It gives him courage to do the work. So if you're here today and you're lonely, maybe you're depressed, maybe you're sad, the answer is think about others. Think about the needs of others. Think about those who need Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. Now think about those at our church who need to grow in Christ. Think about those who need uh, material possessions. Think about them. Verse 3. Oh, I'm sorry, Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We need to keep watch. We need to keep looking out for each other. We need to know who's, who's missing from service. We need to know who's missing from our small group. We need to care about people. Positive thinking will lead to positive feelings. All right? You, don't, you know you're ungrateful for someone. You start thinking positive thoughts, you'll be grateful for them. Paul had so many memories of planning this church, watching the people fall in love with Jesus and become his good friends. 
You know, good memories fill us with joy. Good memories fill us with joy because they, they connect us to people. The work that we did, the work that we, we did with each other fills us with joy. I was, I was talking with Jack Yee uh, the other day, and one of our deacons, and we call them the old timers, and, uh, and I said, Jack, I remember you back at First Chinese when we bought those cottages next to First Chinese, and I think it was Jack was holding a, a circular saw, <laughs> and Buddy uh, Hing and I think Stan Ma were there, and they were remodeling uh, the cottages next to the old Culver building, way, way back. And I said, I remember, that's good memory. Uh, men, seeing men, I was a young man at the time, serving the Lord, uh, working there. If you don't have any good memories, you need to start making some. If you have no memories to fall back, I have tons of memories to fall back on, but if you don't have good memories, start making them. Work in ministry with somebody. Join a small group and serve uh, one another and reach out to the lost. Uh, join on a mission trip. Uh, start a small group, build some Christian friendships, uh, share some laughter. Uh, who do you have on your mind? Paul had people on his mind. And then we see that I, the next one we see in order to have good fellowship is this. I have you in my heart. Not only were he's thinking about them, uh, he had affection for them in his heart. Uh, verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And so Paul sitting there in chains and the love of the Philippians just fills him, gives him courage. When he's standing before the governors and proclaiming the message, uh, the love of the Philippians is there with him. And so Paul had a deep affection for the church in Philippi. If you want a healthy church, you must have a deep affection for people in this church. Not just for family, not just for your friends at church, but people you don't know. So if you see somebody you don't know, God wants you to go love them. Develop a deep affection for them. That's where God is, God's work is done when you touch a life that you don't know. Where you add them to your prayer list, when you think about them and put them on your prayer list because God said, hey, there's that person. Think about them uh, Give them your heart. The love that Paul felt for the Philippians gave him confidence and courage in fellowship and in ministry. You want more confidence and courage, work together with other people. So the key is love. Now what's love? You know, we think of the word agape love. When we think about love in the New Testament, agape is the Greek word for sacrifice. Jesus, for God so loved the world, agape, uh, sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed himself, and that is what's called the sacrificial love. But if you read scripture, you know that agape love must evolve and grow stronger, so we need the phileo love, which is brotherly love. We need brotherly That's why God calls us brothers. That's why God calls us friends, because his love is just not God sacrificing, 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 but it goes deep. It becomes affectionate. Otherwise, our love becomes more and more legalistic if it's just because we have to. But it should become because we want to. We want to help. We want to serve. And so if a married couple is fighting and they're disagreeing and, and they come for counseling, uh, I might ask them this question, which is this. Do you love each other? Do you love each other? If I ask a married couple who is fighting if they love each other, they will always say yes. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. I'm sacrificing. I made the commitment. I'm still here. But I ask, if I ask them, do you love your spouse? I mean, I'm sorry. Do you, didn't I just say that? I'm sorry. Pastor Michael's not here to give me time to read my notes in between because he was translating. It's Pastor Michael's fault. Anyways, it's Larry's fault and Pastor Michael's fault. It's never my fault. One thing I learned in ministry. Okay, it's my brother's fault too. Anyway. If I, now, where was I? If I ask him, do you love your spouse, they will always say yes. If I ask him, do you like your spouse, they will say no because they're irritating each other, they're angry with each other, they're making each other mad. And so we need love. We need to learn how to communicate. And usually it's because they're not communicating with each other, so they don't know how to say, I love you. They don't know how to say, I respect you or care for you. Now, as I leave the church, uh, I'm a little apprehensive. Not apprehensive, I'm a little concerned. And so I decided, that's why I'm preaching this message today. I want you to be on guard. Because when change happens, when change happens, Satan's waiting. Satan wants to use that change to cause conflict and pain. And I want to use this change as an opportunity to grow and, and to honor the Lord and to grow closer with each other. And so I have this phrase here. Uh, look on this slide. Satan wants you to have a big mouth and a tiny heart. You know what that means? Uh, Satan wants you to have a big mouth and a tiny heart. A big mouth criticizes, condemns, uh, it uh, complains about everything. And so we don't want to get to that in our church where the first thing that comes out of our mouth is criticism or complaints. Think about the words you have said this past month in this church. Have they been helpful words or hurtful words? Um, how do you respond and talk to each other? How do you go about doing ministry? Are you working together or working against each other? Are your words positive or negative. I mean, every during the week you need to stop and just ask yourself, have I been positive or negative? Let me ask you this. Have any of you this year given the finger to somebody? Okay, not the middle finger, the finger. You know, people come up to you, Pastor, you're not doing it the right way. You know, Pastor, you're not doing it the right way. That's a big mouth with a tiny heart. Are you more apt to lecture people or criticize people? On the other hand, God wants us to have this, a big heart and a tiny mouth. He wants our heart full of love. He wants a heart that forgives and finds no wrong. It's full of, com com it's full of compliments and encouragement. It builds each other up. Instead of giving the finger, we give a helping hand to lift people up. Our love must be contagious. It must infect uh, everyone else. Uh, who is on your mind? Who is on your heart? See, first, God puts people in our mind that we need to serve, that need the gospel, or need to grow in Christ, or need an opportunity to, to, to exercise in a ministry. And then we put them on our heart as we develop affection for them. I see that, God, and I'm going to start loving that person. I'm going to spend time with that person. I'm going to bring them closer. And then the next thing we see that Paul says, I have you in my prayers. I have you in my prayers. Uh, verse 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We pray about the things we care about. I pray for my kids and my grandkids every day 
because I care about them. And I apologize for all, these, all of you that called and said, I can't get a seat for today because <laughs> my grandkids and my kids took up half the space. I apologize. But um, one day we'll be in the new sanctuary, and if you invite me back, I'll preach to everybody. But I pray about, we pray for those things we care about. But if you want to be a gospel partner, you need to add new people to your prayers. Okay, if you want to be a gospel partner, you need to add new people to your prayers. Not just family and close friends. You need to add new people. People that you meet that need Jesus. People that need to grow in Christ. People that are hurting that you minister to. Now, it's okay to pray for people for their financial issues or health problems the relationship problems, our prayers are filled with that. But if you look at this prayer that Paul prays, he mentions none of that. He doesn't pray for, you know, your colon cancer. He doesn't pray for your job. He doesn't pray for any of that. He's praying for your spiritual health and maturity. And that's the priority when we pray is for people's spiritual health and maturity. Someone's asked me, you know, pray for, you know, they wanted God to heal their grandfather or their wife or something. And why isn't God doing it? I said, well, first, God cares about spiritual health before physical health. So we pray for spiritual health and maturity. Uh, in the Old Testament time, the high priest wore a special garment called the ephod. Now look at this picture. This is uh, the high priest will wear an ephod. It is a, a tunic or a piece of clothing that had the 12 stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel on that breastplate, and he would wear it, and the, the image is that the people of Israel is on his heart, okay? He walks around, he's praying, and over his heart, in his heart, are the people of Israel. He's thinking about them, he, he loves them, and now he's praying for them. And uh, Paul, in this passage, he carries the Philippian people in his head and his heart, and he carries them all the way to heaven through his prayers, for them. So even though they're far away, they are close to him. And I think perhaps the, the deepest Christian fellowship and joy we can pray is when we pray with each other and we pray for each other. That builds fellowship. You don't have some, you, you're having a hard time getting along with somebody, start praying positive prayers for them. Start praying that God will bless them and then go and, and pray with that person. Now, I don't have one of these. I don't have an ephod, but I do have a prayer list. And I'm writing new names in it all the time. And so we see that Paul prayed for their love. Paul prayed that their love would abound. He prayed that they would be able to discern what is right and wrong. He prayed for wisdom. But he also prays that they will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now, I used to think that uh, the first fruit, the main fruit, was love. That if we love everybody, then love, joy, peace, patience, kindness will all come with love. But after reading this passage, I realized, no, the first fruit is not love. The first fruit is righteousness. We get right with God. We get right with God, then that unleashes the love, joy, peace, patience, and all the other fruit. So he's praying that they will have the fruit of righteousness. It will flow. It will grow and flourish out of them. See, when we get right with God, it means that our head is right with God. Our heart is right with God. Our hands are right with God. They are fertile soil. When we are right with God, it is fertile soil. God's word and God's will will produce a fruit in us. As we grow in Christ, we go in Christ. Now, Matthew 13, 23, but the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is a man who hears the word 
and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what is sown. One seed becomes 30, 60, 100. When God plants his seed, his word in us, when we believe, when our hearts and our heads and our hands become fertile soil, we do the work and then we take our work and plant those 60, 100 seeds in somebody else. We grow in our spirituality. We grow. We are able to generate numbers that please and glorify God. Now, make sure you understand this. I am not talking about religious activity. I am not talking about being busy at church. I'm talking about doing the work that produces spiritual fruit in the Lord. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. God works in us and through us. We bear fruit. God is glorified and lives get transformed. So that means as gospel partners, we work the harvest fields. Uh, we work the harvest field. The harvest fields are the souls of men and women. Planting seeds of God's word in their head and their hearts. Watering them with uh, love and good deeds. You know, maybe they're your family who don't know Christ. Maybe they're that guy at work that hasn't been in church in, in ages. But we plant seeds of the gospel, we water it, and then we wait for God uh, to let it grow and take root. And so I ask you this question, our closing question. Are you a gospel partner? Are you a gospel partner? Who are you thinking about these days? Is there someone new that you're thinking about? Who are you loving and showing extra attention today? You know, people who are hurting are the ones, are the most wonderful opportunities to share the gospel with, people who are hurting. So I know the people who are not hurting, they have enough money, they have enough health, they don't really care. But those who are hurting, we should be seeking them out. And who are you praying for? What new person are you praying for on your list? Who is in your head? Who is in your heart? And who are in your prayers? So as we go on with life, as we go on in our ministries, we are still gospel partners. Uh, we seek to glorify God and do good uh, for the lost and for man. I would be remiss if I don't remind you once more that the gospel message is this, that Christ died for our sins and he rose from the dead. Uh, Jesus paid our sin debt so that we don't have to. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. But Christ died on the cross for my sins even though he did not have to and he rose from the dead to give us eternal life. God wants to fill your life with joy. If you're not joyful, if you're bitter, if you're ungrateful, you need Jesus. You need Jesus to transform you. Eternal life begins when you trust in the Lord as your Savior and your Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for today that we can worship you, that we can be here, that we can be partners in your work, that you called us human beings to be your messengers. You didn't, you're not sending the angels. You're not sending the angelic beings. You called us. And I pray, Father, that my brothers and sisters in Christ, that our hearts be fertile soil, that as you plant your seeds in us, it will produce a, a bounty of 50, 60, 100 seeds, that we take those seeds and plant them in those that need Jesus, those that need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray for my brothers and sisters that we continue to be gospel partners. And, Father, I also pray that you bless those who need to know you, who need to finally settle the decision on where they've trusted in you, that they'll trust in you as Savior and Lord. So, Father, we worship and praise you in Jesus' name. 
encouraged by today's message, be sure to follow us on Spotify and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcast. To listen to other sermons and watch our live gatherings, visit us online at nwcbc.org. We look forward to see the difference God will make in your life. Thank you for listening to Northwest Chinese Baptist Church Podcast.